This is Boss Talk, and I'm Mike Elk, Senior Labor Reporter at Payday Report. Boss Talk is a project of Payday Report, a new labor publication based out of Louisville, Kentucky, aimed at covering the growing labor movement in the South. Remember the public radio show, uh, Car Talk? Well, Boss Talk is a lot like that. However, instead of teaching you how to fix your car, we teach you how to fix your boss. Each week, my co-host and I, University of Wyoming labor law professor Mike Duff, will talk about ways in which workers were able to fix their boss through organizing and labor law tactics. Uh, Mike is one of the most interesting people I know in the movement. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, thanks, Mike. Um, I, as you said, I'm a, a professor at the University of Wyoming, and um, before I went into the law, I was actually a um, blue-collar worker in the airline industry. I worked for um, uh, a few different airlines, uh, most of which are uh, defunct now. That tells you a lot about what's been happening in the airline industry. But I was a Teamster steward for a number of years and then uh, went to school uh, while I was working um, and doing union business and so forth. And then uh, 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 finished eventually my uh, bachelor's degree at Westchester University and then went on to uh, Harvard Law School. And since then, I had the opportunity to work for the National Labor Relations Board for about a decade and then uh, stumbled into academia after that. You were saying that one of the people you went to Harvard Law School with was Alexander uh, Acosta, uh, who is now going to be the uh, you know, Trump's pick for Secretary of Labor. A lot of uh, left uh, labor law voices have come out in favor of him, including Leif Salman, the former general counsel of the NLRB under Obama. Why do some folks on the left side of labor law like Acosta? Well, I think you have to look at the choice uh, within the uh, the construct of labor law that, that we have, okay, and the construct, you know, what the Department of Labor actually is, what it uh, what it does. And the truth of the matter is it's really um, quite limited in terms of what it's uh, actually able to do. And um, if somebody uh, uh, pushed me, said, okay, how would Acosta be different from Tom Perez? Um, uh, I, I would suggest uh, not as different as, uh, as folks might imagine. And my experience with Acosta, and I didn't know him well in, in law school, but I, I did work at the uh, NLRB while uh, Acosta was a board member. And really, my, my experience with him um, when he came to, the, uh, came to the board under a, uh, a Bush board, uh, uh, you know, Bush II, you know, uh, we had uh, great trepidation, us um, uh, government uh, labor lawyers, about what uh, you know, what kind of um, member would he be at the NLRB. We had, we were very concerned that we would get a hyper conservative uh, board member who would uh, really be trying to uh, change the law in ways we uh, thought were uh, were not good um, from the beginning. And that really, that really wasn't the case at all. I found him to be pretty much a uh, uh, a straight shooter. Now, I'm not suggesting that he he wasn't conservative. I mean, he was, you know, he was a Republican pick. What I am saying is that he was within what I consider to be the boundaries of um, of labor law, of what I consider to be a very ter- terrible labor law. So, I mean, he um, there were there were lots of and put put a little bit differently. Um, I saw uh, conservative Republican um, board members who were um, really outside the frame of what I would consider to be um, a traditional labor law. What, what do you mean Acosta by that? You, really, you mean people that are trying to destroy labor law and you see Acosta yeah, trying to destroy invested it, in it? Or, or stretching the doctrine 
beyond where it could reasonably go. And that's another way to think of this. You know, um, you know, if you look at a particular labor law doctrine, um, I'll take um, take an example of uh, uh, union buttons, right? Union insignia. Now, a lot of people know that wearing union insignia and buttons um, is uh, is lawful. And uh, and generally, the way the law works in that area is that um, it's the employer that has to provide a reason as to why uh, labor insignia can't be um, worn in a particular workplace, right? Well. There, you know, there have been cases decided over the last 30 years on that issue, and uh, some of them more restrictive and some of them more protective, right? But there'd be a range of cases. There'd be a range of opinions uh, within that very uh, pretty simple doctrine. Uh, well, you, you, you might get um, a Republican member or a very conservative member who would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to act as if um, the wearing of union insignia isn't protected at all, almost ignoring uh, the labor law doctrine, right? Well, that's kind of out. That, that's kind of out of bounds, right? Um, there are there are opinions within the spectrum that accept that this is a protected activity, and uh, and then there are opinions that are outside of the the boundaries altogether. And so what I'm suggesting is, um, I don't think Acosta was um, outside the bounds of labor law at all. I mean, I thought that he was. Most of his decisions were. Uh, defensible, and I don't know. Maybe you've heard of some that you want to talk about, but uh, but uh, that was my impression. There are lawyers that uh, disagree with one another, but there is some sort of basic fundamental belief in law as a system of laws, and that Acosta is someone who, while you know, for instance, the, I mean, you know, you brought up Perez. You know, he suggested at a hearing, you know, Perez raised the uh, a threshold for overtime for salaried workers to forty seven thousand a year. He said that shouldn't go above thirty three thousand a year. However, but what you're saying is someone like Podzer, who um, Trump picked before, those are kind of guys that just want to come in and destroy everything and purposely set bombs in agencies, whereas a guy like Acosta is definitely going to be management friendly, but, you know, still within the confines of how the law allows him to be management friendly. Is that what you're saying? I think that's that's pretty much it. And, and you know, it was, it was basically, um, uh, whether Trump knew it or not, um, there was a, a real issue uh, with how you were going to put Pozer, uh, you, you know, uh, in charge of an agency that he has publicly um, not just disparaged, but uh, but questioned the existence of. Uh, you, you know, there's some pretty interesting administrative law principles about that, that, uh, you know, uh, ordinarily, um, you uh, your decision, uh, you're entitled to have your decision heard by a, um, uh, a neutral um, at least putatively a neutral, right? When somebody's on the record as uh, you know being against uh, labor law, I don't know as a matter of administrative law how that would work. But yeah, that, I think you have uh, my general sort of um, the general the gist of what I'm saying about uh, Acosta. I really do think he. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there, there was a. Uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, the site that this ran on, but there was a story running about. Um, um, nurses that had been um, fired in Minnesota, right? And they were fired because they didn't provide uh, adequate notice of going on strike, which is a, uh, a very restrictive doctrine under the uh, NLRA. Um, and um, somebody dug out the case, Acosta uh, basically, uh, he agreed with the majority that had said, uh, no, that was a violation of this very strict uh, 10-day rule. 
and um, and uh, you know uh, the, the rule the rule is what it is and 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 I'm and I agree with it right I agree with uh, the decision that's been uh, reached well he took some heat for that but um, without understanding the, the the context of of that rule I mean that is a rule um, that has been very strictly enforced except for once uh, that I'm aware um, by the NLRB so like if you're uh, a nurse and you go on strike and you don't provide the adequate statutory notice. I mean, that that is very strictly construed uh, because the purpose for establishment of the rule, and by the way, I disagree with the premise. The premise of the rule is that nurses would go out on strike and, I don't know what, leave their patients to die on the bed or something. I mean, it's absurd. The premise of the law is absurd, but that's not the point. The point is that we have a rule of law that is in place um, and uh, you can't simply disregard it. And I thought that um, the uh, the concurrence um, uh, he, he concurred on. I think Batista wrote the uh, the decision, um, and I thought the concurrence was entirely uh, proper. So I think you have to be very careful before you uh, uh, criticize somebody in context, in the context of what he's supposed to be doing. Uh, what do you think of the growing militancy and and just even the way that Trump is playing into it? Uh, there was a recent Pew Research uh, Center came out with a, a report that showed that public approval ratings of unions is now at 60%. Over the last three years, it came up from 48% to now 60%. Uh, and obviously, you know, you're seeing uh, support for unions grow. And, and one could even argue, you know, with Trump getting uh, a majority of, you know, union members in some unions like the Carpenters unions, that in some way the Acosta pick and other moves by Trump recently suggests that he doesn't want a head-on confrontation with organized labor, necessarily. Well, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what he wants. <laughs> so, um, but, I, but I do think that um, there are, um, if nothing else, uh, I think we're looking at an administration that doesn't have um, the degree of sophistication as some prior uh, administrations that we've seen on the right uh, with respect to taking on organized labor. So if you, um, you know, um, I was um, working for the NLRB when uh, George W. Bush was, uh, was elected, and uh, I can remember some of the initial picks um, uh, for board membership. And uh, these were folks who um, not only were they uh, hostile to the labor movement, but they were very... Um, uh, sophisticated choices. So, for example, I, I mentioned uh, Member Batista, who had been um, lead counsel for uh, Detroit uh, newspapers uh, during that uh, horrendous strike. And so um, that was really, that evinced a, um, an understanding of some of the recent losses that had been suffered by organized uh, labor. So it was a very um, strategic uh, choice. Uh, and I think there were some, there were some people who were uh, very in a very sophisticated way in opposition to uh, labor law. Now, it, it, so my sense is that what we may be dealing with here um, are folks who uh, are not quite uh, in opposition in the uh, in the traditional sense. They, almost, they they don't know labor law. They don't. There's a lot of things they don't know. And of course, this is characteristic. Um, of uh, deep ideologues, um, you know, if the uh, if this isn't kind of a component of their uh, 
of their uh, overall ideology, uh, it doesn't surprise me that they wouldn't know about it. It's not part of their talking points and so forth. So, so I don't know. I mean, it, it remains to be seen. Um, well, it, it was interesting to see Trump go down to Boeing two days after the Union Drive was defeated there and not mention the defeat of the Union Drive. He's quiet about it. And it sort of suggested to me that they know that, you know, Trump got the largest uh, share of union voters for Republican candidates since 1984. I, I, I just wonder, and I can't quite tell yet, if there's a hesitancy uh, to take on unions in a very, very public way. Of course, they'll do it in backdoor ways, obviously. But, you know, I think uh, even the people I talk to in the union busting community say that they see national right to work as very unlikely being passed, especially... Now with what's happening with the Supreme Court, you know, that that obviously he's still going to be pushing an anti-labor agenda with, you know, who he's picking for the Supreme Court and the likelihood that could affect labor law decisions. But overall, that we're not going to see these kind of Scott Walker style attacks is the sense I'm getting from people. I don't know if I agree with that. I think it's too early to tell. Um, there are obviously a deep political calculations going on um, terms, in terms of national right to work. Um, it, it's very it's very hard for me to assess, um, you know, what the uh, what the position of the administration would be on those kinds of things. And you know, until you have a um, um, a, a, a real developed um, sort of position on the part of Republican politicians, I think it would be it would be hard to say. I do think that there there are there are more aggressive ways um, that you could um, uh, that you could you could proceed. So to that extent, I agree. I mean, I don't see um, you know uh, in your face kind kinds of um, you know programs that uh, you know let's let's stick uh, stick a finger in the eye of. Um, Various unions and so forth. I don't. I, I don't see that at this point. But but don't forget. Um, you know, it's not as if uh, he isn't occupied by a million other things. Uh, it took a while for um, some of W. Bush's uh, labor policies, uh, some of the worst ones, to uh, to manifest. So um, so it's hard to assess it. What you're point. saying is, in this case, right now, the way labor law is constrained, the, the way I understand it, is that. For most unions, you're not allowed to go on strike unless there's an expiration of the contract. Obviously, there are some unions, um, you know, for instance, UE at General Electric has provisions that they're allowed to strike over grievances and contracts. That's when, uh, you know, the, you know, there's an unresolved grievance and how the contract is implemented uh, and the union goes out on strike. But for the most part, people can only strike when the contract is expired. So what you're saying is, you could actually, without labor law, see much more strikes and that there'd be no punitive ability of the federal government to really uh, protect against these strikes. I mean, it's, it's, it's particularly interesting, you know, the, the general strike dynamics that are happening now with, you know, SEIU out in California calling for a general strike on May 1st and other unions doing that as well. Yeah, and, and I don't want to get too um, hyper-technical uh, for our listeners, but let me, let me say, let me just correct you a little bit. Um, it is uh, many labor contracts have no strike provisions within them. All right. So the presumption is that employees um, have a right to strike. And by the way, that's with or without union representation. Uh, you don't you don't have to be represented by a union to go out on strike. All you have to do is go out with one other person. And then it's a uh, concern. Uh, there, there recently was a case in Alabama where three guys, they were non-union. Yeah, as long as it's concerted. Know, complained about overtime and they went out together. And that's a that's protected activity. What what happens is that in within the uh, 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 contracts, uh, there are no strike uh, provisions in the contracts. And 
generally, the, the way that most people think about this is uh, employers um, demand uh, no strike uh, provisions in exchange for um, grievance arbitration. Uh, the, the one is the quid pro quo for the other, and so um, and so so you there are lots of but there are lots of other kinds of constraints on strikes and picketing um, and um, you know a lot of those constraints come from the National Labor Relations Act because um, I, again I don't want to you know give our listeners a history lesson but basically uh, the NLRA um, uh, was uh, the the current version of it Taft Hartley. Uh, was essentially um, put in place uh, to limit uh, some of the strike and concerted activity that had been going on uh, under the Wagner Act between 1935 and uh, 1947. So, um, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a um, a sword and a shield, if you will. Um, there are protections for labor, but uh, but uh, there's also a sword that can be used to uh, tamp down uh, uh, concerted activity. Speaking of general strike, how likely do you think it could be that we could see a general strike? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, SEIU out in California, a big local out there with about 250,000 members voted this week uh, to go out on strike on May Day. And obviously, you know, you're seeing a lot of immigrant groups strike already, uh, whether they're independent operators or construction workers. We've seen that in WAVE. I mean, May Day is the International Labor Solidarity Day. What do you um, what do you think? I mean, obviously, general strikes, it's uh, something that, you know, even when you look back in history, they never really quite happen. I, I mean, they do happen, but not nearly on the scale that people imagine. I mean, you know, it's often in the 10, 15 percent of a city workforce that goes out on strike in the big general strikes we look at. I mean, what do you think of the possibility of one? Well, um, this actually gets back to some of the constraints under the uh, NLRA. Um if we're talking about uh, unions participating in a broad strike, uh, there are secondary boycott provisions under the NLRA that pretty seriously constrain a union's ability uh, to go out on strike in connection with a dispute against any employer other than uh, their own. So, for example, um, you know, if I work for an ABC company and I'm represented by a union at ABC company, I can go out on strike, I can pick it, I can do um, all kinds of things in connection with what's called primary activity, right? Uh, a dispute that my union right here has with ABC Corp, right? The moment that I decide that I'm going to carry the front of the dispute, uh, to another employer. So, so um, you know, I don't actually have a dispute with um, CDE Corp, right? And I go and I uh, participate in a, in a strike or some kind of pressure against that uh, neutral, uh, then uh, employers can obtain um, injunctive relief. Now, I'm not suggesting that in every... In, injunctive relief means that some of these unions could be fined hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. Yeah, so so uh, injunctions vary uh, uh, in type, but uh, but at a minimum, uh, stop engaging in the activity, and if you don't, something really bad will happen. Right? So so um, you know, it, so, so that so that is a, a limiting um, kind of factor, and you know, one of one of the things that I've written about within the last few years is the extent to which um, secondary boycott provisions could be applied against other kinds of worker groups. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a concern that I, that I have when I, when I think about general strikes, uh, so that if we had Fight for 15 
um, you know, engaging in a broad uh, dispute uh, against multiple employers uh, could uh, could fight for 15, uh, be subject to um, to injunctions. And the uh, the short answer is yes, if they're uh, if they fall under the definition of a labor organization under the uh, NLRA, and it's not clear whether they do, and I've written about that. Um, so so I, I think that the big concern that I have when, when, um, uh, when I think about general strikes is whether the state will be provoked um, to, uh, to issue uh, injunctions in response to that. And uh, that's an outcome that I don't think anybody uh, would want. It's a very serious kind of thing. But historically, uh, we've seen that that's what the state does. Folks, this was Boss Talk, and we're really glad that you folks could turn into the first episode of the program. Uh, Boss Talk is a work in progress, much like the rest of the labor movement. And we, like the rest of the labor movement, depend on our members, our readers, uh, those who listen to us, to give us the energy to keep building. And and we're here to be a publication for you as readers. We want to know what you think. And we want to write stories about workers, funded by workers, from the perspective of workers. And it's up to folks like you. So write in, donate, spread the news on Facebook. Let us know what you think about this. And we'll keep listening to you and we'll keep putting out a show with some of the most interesting perspectives on labor law this week.